I am so delighted to take you to today's cemetery. It's celebrating its 200th year in operation. Come along as I take you on a tour of this incredible piece of American history. For this city is the oldest on the Mississippi River. It's been perched on the highest bluff overlooking this great river for over 300 years. What lies beneath? Natchez, Mississippi. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Friends and Taphophiles, I'm your host, Lachelle. Welcome to our podcast, Stones, Bones, and Shadows, where we talk about all things cemeteries and give you the chilling tales and the heartfelt history that we find there. Also, I want to take this moment to shout out to our Patreon members. We're so grateful to you for all your support. And if you would like to get all the extra content and some really amazing Stones, Bones, and Shadows merch, you can join our Patreon by going to our website, stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com, and we will get you all hooked up. Today, I have my amazing daughter, Taylor. (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) We're here at her new place. She just moved. We did. And so we're not in our studio so we might sound a little echoey but (laughs) might be just a little bit different than usual oh that's okay you know i've recorded in many a (laughs) hotel room and closets (laughs) yes all over the place so yeah sound quality may suffer once in a while but that's okay (laughs) we've got all your stories here hopefully that's not why you guys listen to the podcast (laughs) that's right we do our best in that regard but sometimes sometimes it just is the way it is when you're doing a weekly podcast it's true so I'm really excited about today's stories and today's episode I really loved Natchez City Cemetery I have some of the most unique stories that you will hear and they are all here at the cemetery I really just adored this place and even though it was a blazing hot summer. (laughs) Brad, Brett, Dallin, and I just couldn't get enough of this really cool old southern cemetery. Mm. And we went twice on our trip there. And (laughs) this was even before I started the podcast. (laughs) And once you learn the stories, it does become even more fascinating, which I really didn't know very many of the stories when I went. Since I've started the podcast, I visit cemeteries a little bit differently than I used to. So this was one of those times where I still, I wanted to see everything and I took pictures, Mm -hmm. but now it would be like you do some research before, you really find some of the notable graves and some of the places that you might Mm -hmm. want to share later on the podcast. And so you make sure you get like a ton of pictures of those where this like later you're like 
I wonder if I saw that memorial. But when these cemeteries are this big, it's sometimes it's hard to find some of these little Oh yeah, definitely. These little things. So anyway, it's it's a place that I visited a few years ago before the podcast. In most of our episodes, we take you to a cemetery and choose maybe one or two of the stories to tell you. But today I'm gonna do something a little different. I'm gonna do this kind of like a short cemetery tour and we're going to walk around the cemetery, so to speak, and I will tell you about some of the notable monuments and then the stories that Ooh, are behind them. That sounds fun. There's just so many different kinds of stories and so many unique headstones here. And with 200 years under it, that just only makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you might want to go to our website and the blog at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com and I'm gonna have the photos up in order so as we stroll along, so to speak, you can see exactly what I'm talking about as we talk about it. That's so smart. Yeah. So with Natchez celebrating the cemetery's 200th year, they're holding some special tours. Angels on the Bluff will be held on two consecutive weekends in 2022, November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, and November 10th, 11th, and 12th. Tickets are about $40 and can be purchased online. So it's a tour and production which presents local citizens who portray individuals that are buried in the cemetery, and many of the local actors are actual descendants of those individuals that they are portraying. Cool, right? Yeah, so cool. This is a yearly event that always sells out. For dates and more information, you can go to their website. I would love to go. I would. Sounds fun. Let's do it. Oh, okay. (laughs) November. (laughs) Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, I would just want to go to all the cemeteries, Taylor. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's located just north of downtown Natchez on Cemetery Road. Strange, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like most cemeteries are on Cemetery Road. (laughs) (laughs) And it has beautiful views overlooking the Mississippi River, and especially as the sun's going down, Mm -hmm. you have the sunset and the water and the beautiful cemetery. It really is gorgeous. And the Natchez City Cemetery was established in 1822 on 100 acres of land. Wow. So again quite a large cemetery. Yeah. They had an initial cemetery in their town and it was downtown where Memorial Park and St. Mary's Cathedral are today. But when the cemetery was moved to its present location, the remains from the old burial ground were gradually moved to the new cemetery. So there are grave markers that actually date back to deaths in the late 1700s. Oh wow. And that's why. With having 200 years of beautiful workmanship, there's so much to see in so many of those different eras. So you have Mm -hmm. all the Victorian, but you also have clear back in the 1800s. It's really beautiful. There are so many of the, the iron fences and benches and iron mausoleum doors. Lots of the beautiful ironwork that we just love in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's one of those old cemeteries that every headstone is unique and special. So many with symbols and the decoration on them. 
lots that were in the shape of crosses. Of course, there were individual mausoleums, statues, busts. This cemetery is what Atapophile's dreams are made of. <laughs> <laughs> the cemetery is open from 7 a.m. until dusk. Everyone is welcome to tour the cemetery at your own leisure. There are brochures and maps, which we love when cemeteries mm -hmm. have these because it's so nice. It helps you so much. And they even have CDs to guide you on your tour. And that's available at the cemetery office there on site or at the Natchez Visitor Center located downtown. And there are even private guides that you can hire as well so that you don't miss any of the stories or histories about the people that are buried there. The Natchez City Cemetery is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Established in 1822, tombstone inscriptions embellished by romantic and mysterious tales draw portraits of the dearly departed interred here. Of course, bring a good pair of walking shoes and make the Natchez City Cemetery a good three-hour stop on your itinerary. Or more, if you're me. <laughs> As historic cemeteries go, it really is unforgettable. When you enter the gates, you'll be near the site of Confederate soldiers' graves, one of two large lots of Civil War graves in the cemetery. Natchez was right in the middle of the fighting, although the city surrendered to the Union and was occupied, which is one of the reasons that there are so many intact antebellum homes still mm -hmm. there today and can be toured and visited as well. They were not burned, bombed, and pillaged. I mean, that is a perk. That, right? that is a perk, definitely. The first individual grave that I want to show you belongs to a young girl. It is white with the little garden planter in the front mm -hmm. here, and it has a small wreath on the front. It is so sweet and sad but the remarkable part of the grave is what is right behind it. Her name was Florence Irene Ford, and she was born September 3rd, 1861, and she died October 30th, 1871. So she was only 10 years old. Florence Irene was extremely frightened of storms, and whenever a big thunderstorm occurred, she would rush to her mother for comfort, mm. as so many children do. Well, being that we are on the Mississippi and in the 1870s, can you guess what little Florence died of, Taylor? Mm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yellow fever? Florence died of yellow fever. Oh, gosh. Of course, right? This is one of those places, like I said, in the South, so many yellow fever victims. And I feel so... like whenever we just do an episode in the in the South United States, everyone should just expect, or Southeastern <laughs> United States, just expect yeah. us to talk about yellow fever, because that is just... Yeah. Especially in this historic... Part of history there. Cemeteries, yeah, they yeah. just, during that time period, a lot of yellow fever deaths. Yeah. And so, of course, her mother was so struck with grief, as we can imagine, and she was really worried about Florence 
being put in the ground there and that she would feel alone and afraid, especially when the storms would come. And so she had a special casket constructed with a glass window at the child's head. No. So at the back of the casket here. And next to the grave, they dug down to the level of the coffin to provide an area for her mother to sit at the child's head there next to a glass window in her little cellar. And so the steps allowed her mother to descend to her daughter's level and so she could comfort Florence during the storms. And then to shelter the mother during the storms, there were some hinged metal trap doors that were installed over the area the area that the mother would occupy while at her child's grave so that she was protected while she was comforting her daughter during the storms. Mom, you can't do this to any of us, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I know you love all of us, but this is, this is too far. That's, no. Mm -hmm. You Could you see her body still? Yes. No, you went and looked at the body. Oh, you mean now? No, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh, no. I was like, Mom, you crazy lady. <laughs> Stop doing stuff like that. It's weird. To me, that sounds horrific, being able to see into your yes! child's coffin. Why would you want to look at your child's dead body? It was at the top, so it's kind of at the back of where like, the top of your head would be. So weird. And Well, yeah. <laughs> but... I think like she couldn't really see in too much, probably just like the top of her head, but, but still be able to talk into it. But why was it not enough for it to just be a regular casket and for her to still be able to go and be at like the head of her casket? Why was that not enough? Why did there have to be a window? Because <laughs> she wanted to make sure that she heard her, that she knew she was there, I guess. <sighs> I don't know. I Strange. Mean, it is a little bit of a strange notion. I mean, to me, like, it is their body, you know, it's that. But I don't believe that you are afraid they're in the ground. I mean, and I don't, you don't feel <laughs> right. I believe that your spirit has gone elsewhere. And so, I don't know, maybe this was almost as comforting to the mother as she thought it would be to her child, but... I just think it's terribly sad. Okay. I'm I mean, so isn't glad that this so isn't sad? like a... And you're like, hmm. Oh, brother. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I know you wouldn't do that. But I mean, to me, it just... It's too much. Oh, I mean, we've had yeah. this conversation Hello. before in Bond Have you Venture. ever heard of this? I've never heard of anything like no. this before. Yeah, we had this conversation in Bonaventure where I don't even like looking at dead bodies, so right, this right, just right. seems, like, terrifying to me. <laughs> Especially if it was my own child. I know. I don't think I would ever want to even go to her grave. Being a mother, I can try to empathize, and since I haven't lost a child, and I pray that I never will, I can't completely understand the mental state that this mother was in. But yeah. I can guess that it would be very, very hard to leave your child there in the ground alone. Yeah. You know? Like I said, I, I understand that, but I don't understand, like, the window part. 
like <laughs> just leave it as a normal coffin and then you know you could be there with your child still in the way that she wanted to but the whole window, window. thing is like the thing that's bothering me <laughs> <laughs> i can't get over the window i can't get over the window aspect of it, it never just... mind that she goes down in the cellar next to the coffin and talks to her during the storm but no, for some reason that doesn't bother me. It's the yeah. fact that she can see the body see that bothers it. me. <laughs> I guess it didn't bother her. Yeah. But supposedly she would read to her and sing her songs and talk to her and help comfort her and try to do the things that she used to do. Well, so this is kind of like her way of grieving, I guess? Or was right. she in denial and just this was... I still have to, to be there for my her. baby. I think so. Yeah. In the mid-1950s, a concrete wall was built at the bottom of the stairway, so that covered the glass there of Florence's coffin to prevent any vandalism. And so now you don't see into the coffin anymore, Taylor. <laughs> but they can open the metal doors, and you can see the stairs as they descend six feet down. The glass window that was peering into Irene's grave was bricked up following her mother's death in 1892. Oh. And some speculate that the girl's ghost roams the graveyard during storms seeking comfort. Oh, well, maybe the mom was right. Maybe she needed comfort during the storms. <laughs> Other strange happenings include disembodied voices, strange noises, and the appearance of a strange green substance on anyone who descends the steps into Irene's grave. Like Ghostbusters green substance? <laughs> I don't know. That's exactly what it comes to mind. <laughs> what do they call that? Like ectoplasm? I didn't know ectoplasm existed. I thought that was like a, yeah. a myth. What I don't about? know. I don't think it's like tangible, but I have I have a source that was really interesting. I found this in the Natchez Democrat newspaper, and they said that the longtime cemetery director Don Estes even gets the heebie-jeebies here at yeah, her grave. I would Estes too. now retired from the director job. He didn't believe and really doesn't believe in ghosts because he's walked the roads at the Natchez City Cemetery at night many times, and he's never seen a flying orb or anything like that. But the 1871 grave of Florence Irene Ford makes him believe, sort of. Estes routinely gives tours of the cemetery and the grave of the 10-year-old Ford. He said that he brought a lady out here one time and she just got frantic, he said. And she told him that 12 years ago, her mother had brought her here and her mother went down the steps and came out screaming, oh. rolling on the ground with a green glow all over her. Ugh. And this young woman told Estes how a cemetery worker at the time witnessed the glow. And after a few minutes, it began to fade and the worker bent down and kind of scooped it off making a ball that he could actually hold in his hands of green glowing ball huh. <laughs> and then he later released it into the air where it went up sparkled and disappeared as does what 
the heck? Does she I like know. walk into a... See, that makes me think it's not the little girl. That makes me think it's the mom. Because it's whenever you descend, descend into yeah. the, that where the be. grave is, where the mom always hung out. That could and be so true. And so she just like attaches herself to people. She's she like, comes get out of here. This yeah. is my baby. And Excuse me. Get out of my Or she cellar. disappears as this green. Maybe she's trying to like possess people so that she can be by their by her daughter's side. Ooh, and that's Taylor, what that's the green dark. glow is. I know. That's, that's, <laughs> that's probably dark. not true, y'all. But, you know. Uh, <laughs> just Taylor thinking Taylor things. <laughs> Taylor thinking Taylor things. Mm-hmm. Well, Mr. Estes, he's pretty sensible. And he didn't really quite believe it. And he was kind of like, okay. And so he decided to do some research of his own. And he found that cemetery worker who was named Mr. Davis. And he said that he told him the exact same story. And he said it felt like compressed air or kind of like a tennis ball in his hand. Weird. And the account was so similar that Estes became a believer, he said. He said, I believe because I had an actual testimony of an actual man and I had it verified and I didn't prompt him in any way. But there's also a lady that runs ghost tours named Jacqueline Stevens and she said she had even more evidence. Oh boy. And she uses, you know, they've got all their little tools and their sensors and everything Mm -hmm. and she uses a cell sensor to detect electromagnetic waves, energy, and, you know, ghosts. Yeah. And she went, I guess, on a night that was 135 years exactly after Irene died to the day, but she didn't get any readings at all. But she said that she had gotten three readings another time right in the center and she said the best reading came down this as she went down the steps. Mm. And a positive cell sensor reading falls at about the number five on the sensor scale, and the detector can be affected by electricity and street lights. But Estes says there are no outlets anywhere near Irene's grave. And that's not good for Irene, because the little girl was, after all, afraid of the dark. She didn't get a nightlight? I'm thinking she'd probably been good with the nightlight. Yeah. All that trouble? Uh-huh. She just needed a little she light. She needed a little nightlight. I don't know. I still think it's the mom's ghost. Just saying. <laughs> That's just me, though. You could be right. <laughs> Our next super unique grave belongs to Rufus E. Case. And he is buried in his rocking chair. Now that is something you've never heard of, right, Tay? No. You're like, what are you talking about? I don't even know how that's possible. (laughs) But before his death, Mr. Case requested to be buried in his rocking chair and situated facing his home state of Louisiana. And so the story goes that he had a little daughter that had died before and she had a grave that was right there. And he wanted to be buried sitting in his rocking chair. And so, supposedly, they positioned his rocking chair like right next to her grave and then built this, it looks like a pyramid. It's kind of like this big boxy three Mm -hmm. level square pyramid 
that so it's above ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. You such a weird look. Right I know. Now. <laughs> Isn't that just wild? So he. So he isn't in the ground. He's sitting in his rocking he's just chair. Sitting, but why is he so attached to this rocking chair? I don't know it. <laughs> I think he just thought that that's that's what he likes. He just wants to sit in his rocking chair. I just want my chair. body to be sitting for the rest of its life. Yeah. Instead of laying down. It's so different, it's right? Weird. And so this is one of those that I I think I kind of looked at and was like, that's a big weird thing. And I probably didn't spend much time looking at this. And then finding this story later, I was like, like, what the? That (laughs) is super interesting. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's like a big square and then like it steps in and then there's a smaller one at the top. And on one part of that top, it says his daughter's name, Laura Narcissa, daughter of Rufus and Margaret Case, died in Wallenstein, Louisiana age seven years and 24 days so it's just so interesting to see and to just kind of imagine his skeleton sitting there in his rocking chair (laughs) this is weird rock on mr rufus (laughs) (laughs) rock on buddy i don't understand The next grave we'll take you by is of the man they called the Barber of Natchez. His name was William Johnson, and he was born in 1809, and he died in 1851. His grave is now lying down, but it was at one time an upright monument. It has been laid in cement, I guess, to hold it all together. It says, in memory of William Johnson, Born 1809 in Natchez, Mississippi. Departed this life June 17, 1851. As husband, father, and friend, his loss is severely felt and deeply regretted. But death opens the door to an eternity of bliss. Oh, Yeah. And his mother's grave is right next to his, and hers is upright, and it says Amy Johnson and has her information on it. He was known as the Barber of Natchez. William Johnson was actually born a slave, and he was emancipated and gained his freedom at the age of 11, and then soon followed that of his mother Amy and his sister Adelia. After working as an apprentice to his brother-in-law, James Miller, Johnson bought the barber shop in 1830 for $300, and he then taught the trade to free black boys. It was shortly after he established a barbershop in downtown Natchez that he began to keep a diary. The diary was a mainstay in Johnson's life and he kept this for 16 years, giving a detailed account of what life was like in Natchez. As a young prominent citizen in the free black community of Natchez, his businesses thrived and soon he owned three barbershops. By 1835, his initial investment of $300 had grown to almost $3,000. Wow. His dress was impeccable, and he was confident in his future. He caught the eye of 20-year-old Anne Battle. Anne was also a free black woman, and she married Johnson in 1835. They had 11 children. Oh. And their last was born in 1851 at the time of Johnson's death. Dang. 
Besides enjoying his family and his thriving business, Johnson found time to play. His journal is filled with hunting and fishing exploits as well as his love of going to the local horse track and betting on the races. He's reputed for being highly respected for his fair dealings and good business judgment. He was known around town as the barber or the barber of Natchez. <laughs> 1851, there began a boundary dispute with his neighbor, Baylor Wynn, who was also a freed black man. And soon the two men met in court to resolve the issue. The judge ruled in Johnson's favor, but Wynn was not satisfied. And so Wynn ambushed Johnson, returning from his farm, and shot him. Johnson lived long enough to name his neighbor Wynn as the one who shot him. Through strange circumstances, Wynn was never convicted of the killing. Oh, strange. Strange circumstances. Oh, they're strange. <laughs> they're, they're strange, all right. Yeah. Wynn and his defense argued that he was actually white and not a free person of color because of his Indian ancestry in Virginia. Now, why would he do this? Well, there was a boy who accompanied Johnson on that fateful day who was considered black or in the terms then they used to call them mulattoes and that was when they were mm -hmm. of mixed races. In Mississippi law, it allowed for black people to testify against white people only in civil cases, but not in criminal cases. Yeah, so they couldn't testify against white people in criminal cases. Which is ridiculous. Oh, well, we, we can't even begin to get into that, no. but yes. <laughs> and so if Mr. Wynn was ruled to be white... Which he wasn't. Then this young boy, who was the witness, would not be able to testify against Mr. Wynn. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's just... It just stinks to high heaven. <laughs> it does. It is sick and dirty. It is yeah. just... All of it is sick and wrong. But there, there's always things like that. Not just then, but even now. Where people that get caught doing something find some way to try to get out. That's yeah. what they do. You it's know, that's true. the defense's job. So I can see, like... They're like, how can Why we they... spin this? How can yeah. we make you just be able to get... It's not off? right, but... And yeah. obviously the law wasn't right either. Right. Originally. But still, I could see why they just thought like, oh, this is maybe a way that we can twist this so you don't have to even... Yeah. You know, go to court, basically. Right. Two hung juries could not decide if Wynn was white or black. And so because of this technicality, Johnson's killer walked away free. So they never even got to anything to decide if he was killed yeah. by when and could be prosecuted because they're like, we don't know if we can even prosecute because yeah. if this guy can't testify against a white man, then we have, there's no case. That's crazy. Yeah. So, ugh. So... The strangeness in this story doesn't quite end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although Johnson was a black man, at the time of his death, he owned 16 enslaved people. 
And this is just the part that I do not understand. And I have read and I've heard stories that there were many black people that owned their own slaves. But if you had been enslaved yourself, how could you ever then purchase another human being and keep them as a slave? I don't know. I don't <laughs> either. I don't understand the story. I mean, I, don't, I haven't even read enough about that to even understand. I guess he was... Now you're so uppity yourself, you're like, hey, I can be one of them too, and I need people to work for me. Yeah. And Unless you were buying them and treating them better and actually giving them a better life, perhaps. And, and I guess you would hope that maybe there was some of that there, that he was like, well, yeah, I can help them this good life. Mm -hmm. And instead of being bought by somebody, but he that didn't would... emancipate them. He was a free man of color. He was a freedman. So if he really wanted to help, he would have purchased them and then given them their freedom. And then they could have worked for him if they wanted to or something. So I don't, I don't know. We don't know. It's I'm weird. trying not to be judgy, but <laughs> I'm just, I don't understand. It's a little weird. Yeah. So he writes openly in his diary about the people that he had enslaved and his trial and tribulations of being a slave owner. So, oh, so hard owning people. William Johnson's diary encapsulates 16 years of his life from 1835 to 1851. Johnson filled 14 leather bound volumes with diary entries. These diaries remained in the family home until they were rediscovered in 1938. The Louisiana State University published the diaries in 1951, giving a glimpse into the life of a free person of color through his own words. And so his diary is an important resource for freedmen, African American history, and American history in general. It is also an important part of his legacy and what sets William Johnson apart from other free black men during the time period, and earned him the name of American Diarist. So kind of interesting. So in one way, his story is weird, but in another way, it's kind of good because he, he could write and he did. And so there's actually a lot of written record of what it was like to be a freed man of color during mm -hmm. that time. And so it gives a lot of insight into just what his life was like. Yeah, just... And that's, like, that's right... I mean, he died pretty soon after Civil War and mm -hmm. in that time period. So, really, really interesting. Johnson's house on State Street in downtown Natchez continued to be owned by the family until they sold it to the Ellicott Hill Preservation Society in 1976. The house was then donated to the city, who in turn donated to the National Park Service in 1990. After an extensive restoration process, the National Park Service opened the house as a museum detailing William Johnson's life in 2005. And so now you can go and you can see where he lived and find out more about him. But you can also visit him at the cemetery. True. We'll resume our tour right after this quick break.
let's walk over here and look at this little white stone. It's half sunk down into the ground and all that it reads is Louise period. And under that, the unfortunate period. Louise the unfortunate. There are many versions of her story, but from what I've been able to pull together, for some reason, Louise came to Natchez and it seems in all the stories that it was to be married. She was either a mail order bride or she was mm. supposed to meet her fiance there. But whatever the real Arranged reason or... is, yes, she was supposed to meet him in Natchez. And it's not even really clear where she came from, but it's been mentioned like New Orleans as well as some other northern cities. She came here by steamboat, landing at Under the Hill, which is what they call that area of town that's at the water's edge there at the river. And it's known to be a very busy and the kind of rowdy section of Natchez. And it's said that Louise asked around for her fiance both under the hill and in the more refined part of town on top of the hill <laughs> or on the bluff. The story of Louise even gets a little fuzzy and goes in a couple directions here. One story relates that she never found her fiancé and due to some reason remains in Natchez. But some stories say that maybe she was too embarrassed to return home because she had built up her fiancé's reputation and credibility and a return home would destroy everything she had been saying about him and so maybe she was just too embarrassed to go back. Mm. And then other stories say she learned that her fiance had died and she didn't even have enough money to go back to home where she was from. Sad. But even in those days, you could send messages or letters. It seems like you could get your family to help you yeah. go back. So there's some reason why she couldn't go back. And then there's another story that says that she actually did find her fiance, but... If she did, then the story again spins into two areas. One is that they had a severe falling out, and the other was that Louise discovered that he was married. Ooh, yikes. So maybe she did find him, but he was something married. happened, or he spurned her or something. So really, what I'm learning is that nobody knows nothing. <laughs> nobody knows nothing, exactly. That's the whole story, is that Louise came to Natchez. To find her fiancé, and we don't know what happened. After. Yes, yes. Okay. That is it. There we go. <laughs> we just summed it up in five seconds. Woo! So whatever her situation is, she finds herself stranded in Natchez and has to find work to survive. She works as a housekeeper and a seamstress and some other jobs. You know, a respectable woman of those times could do. However, then as the stories go, she gradually drifted to the notorious under the hill area again, working as a waitress in cafes and bars. And then as time passed, she became, quote, a woman of the night. Ew. One of those. <laughs> one of those women at one of the many brothels under the hill. So kind of the seedy area down there. Got it. Yeah. So then becomes so a under prostitute. The, under the hill is more of like the red light district. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And again, it's not clear, but some say Louise <laughs> became friends with a doctor who treated her during her hard life under the hill, and upon her death, he paid for her funeral and burial. Some say it was a wealthy plantation owner who 
may or may not have frequented her room on lonely nights, paid for her funeral expenses, and others say it was a preacher who paid for her funeral from his pauper funds. But she wasn't just buried in a pauper's grave, but whatever her story is, she must have gained somebody's attention and empathy because she didn't just get put you know, in a pauper section without yeah. a headstone. She actually has a burial in the Natchez City Cemetery with a tombstone. And even though there's not a full name or, you know, no date or anything like mm-hmm. that, somebody took pity on her or they had some kind of regard for her and wanted to see her buried properly with a stone. And yet huh. they called her Louise the unfortunate. I Isn't mean, that just kind she, of a sad little grave? It is, but it sounds like her life was pretty unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, it, you know. <laughs> it does sum it up quite succinctly. That... Do we know how she died? No. no. One of. So, literally, we ways. know this lady came. <laughs> this is what we know. She came to Natchez to find her fiance. Something happened, so then she worked as a lady of the night. And then she mysteriously died, and somebody who loved her enough paid for her funeral and for her to have a tombstone. Yep. That's the story. That's really sad. I could have told it in one minute, but it's a lot more interesting. Yeah, all of it. Everyone has, like, the... It's like urban legend, Yeah. And there's not even a date, so there's just this little half-sunken-in, lonely little grave that just says, Louise, the unfortunate... Why Why would somebody spend the money on a tombstone just to write that? Like, why not at least put a death date? Right. Because you would have known when she died. Maybe it's down further. I mean, maybe. Or like in the ground, do you think? Yeah, maybe there's more to it. Because it doesn't look, it's not very big. It doesn't look the right size for a headstone to uh-huh. me. I'm just wondering if somebody actually restored this and lifted it up. Like, oh. could there actually be more, be more. underneath? Or was this person that paid for all this, did he kill her? And then he's like, oh, she died. I'm going to bury her and just put Louise, the unfortunate. I have no idea. There's so many just like possibilities in this one. It's crazy. Her death has really propagated legends Mm -hmm. and that her ghost returned from the dead as Molly Hatchet who was a 19th century Southern prostitute who would behead her clients. You've heard of Molly Hatchet. Yeah. So some people are trying to say that somehow she was Molly Hatchet or that she returned, her ghost returned from the dead. How did your ghost return from the dead? What? And then you possess somebody in... I mean, is she like a version of Molly Hatchet? You know, like there's several versions of like Bigfoot and La Llorona yeah, I don't All know. All that stuff. Anyway, that is Louise the Unfortunate. Sad. Mm-hmm. It was very unfortunate. It is so unfortunate. <laughs> Poor thing. Aww. So next we're going to the grave of the Yellow Duchess. Mm-hmm. Her real name was Catherine Linton Minor. She was born August 4th, 1770 and died July 9th, 1844. Catherine was the wife of Major Stephen Duncan Minor the last Spanish governor at Natchez. She is buried under this massive box tomb over here, if you're looking at the pictures with us, and her husband is buried next to her under this tabletop tombstone. A tabletop tomb, if you don't know, just looks pretty much 
how it sounds. A flat piece on the ground with usually four to six table legs holding up a tablet or tabletop. Many times this has an inscription written upon it. I've never seen one before. So if you look at the picture. Oh yeah, it does just look like a table. It looks like a table, mm -hmm. kind of. I mean, closely resembles my kitchen table, kind of. It looks like, yeah, it does. you know, it does has legs. the turned legs, mm -hmm. only it's, you know, in marble or something. So it's kind of interesting. Hmm. A different, you know, just it another tombstone different. type. But so her husband has this. And, and she just she gets has a box. This. It's like this giant box oh, that one? with this little piece. It's this giant box. And then she has this little inscription here, so but it's not it tells the, why here. So if you're looking at the picture, it's not the one in front of the table. It's the one. It's one behind it. Mm-hmm. That is huge. She was known as the Yellow Duchess because of her fondness for mm, maybe you the color yellow. guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> not only is yellow her favorite color, she takes this to another level entirely <laughs> by making everything she owned yellow. I mean, you like yellow, but I mean, this, this I is, like yellow. My house is yellow. Yeah. I love yellow. To a whole but, other extent. Yes. So her clothes, her carriage, her furniture, she even had a flower garden full of yellow roses. And she insisted that her horses be palminos and her slaves that she owned being the mixed slaves, mulattoes, as they were called. So, so does that make them a lighter yellow what are palomino? color? Like palominos are yellow, kind of that yellow oh, golden. Are they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Horses. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and so even her, even the people that she owned had to be that lighter Yeah, she color. wanted them the right color to be closer to yellow. What is this like, lady? Are you... Are okay. you kidding me right okay. now? Clothes, carriage, furniture, yeah, you flowers, whatever. That. Horses and people that she owns. Seems a little ridiculous. Yuck. I'm just... <laughs> uh... Anyway. So being of Spanish royalty, she had very great wealth. And it's said that she was buried with much of her gold. Which incidentally is also yellow. Brother. Well, now it makes sense why she's in this huge... <laughs> structure because a massive structure was placed over her grave to prevent grave robbery because she wants to be buried with all her gold. Yeah. So they had to make it so that no one could break into it. That's insane. So this thing is, like you can see in the picture, a huge square block of what looks like concrete with a white piece of marble on the top with her name and the date, all of her information. And so I... I'm sorry, you know where I have to go from here, right? Did she also die of... Oh no. I mean, <laughs> it was her favorite color. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> she did not die of yellow fever. I, I'm sorry, it just feels like that would have been the perfect ending. <laughs> it would have been. I mean, she That's loved so yellow so me much. To say she loved yellow so much. It would have turned her yellow. And then she got yellow fever. No, she did not die of yellow fever. It took... Many lives of many people <laughs> oh, there, but... Not the yellow <laughs> duchess. Not the yellow duchess. Now for the most notable and widely talked about sculpture in the Natchez Cemetery is their turning angel. Ooh. This 
beautiful angel monument over here is of white marble and she has these exquisite wings and back and a book in one hand and a pen in the other. So do you remember what kind of angel that represents to me? Is it the one that's like writing in the book of life or? Right, right? they call that they do the a record, recording, the recording angel. angel. That's right. Yeah. She's overlooking five headstones, each with the same date of death, March 14th. 1908. Wait, they all have the same date? The same death date. Oh. These five little headstones. That she's overlooking? That she is overlooking. Huh. Now, on that date, March 14th, 1908, in Natchez, there was a huge explosion Whoa. at the Natchez Drug Company, which was a five-story brick business located at the corner of Main and South Union Street, just catty corner from the Natchez Cathedral. This explosion was so massive, it totally destroyed the five-story building, killing numerous people, including the business's employees that were there working at the time. And so that March morning, Natchez Drug Company employees had reported the smell of gas. And they had just kind of put in, you know, the newfangled gas lighting mm. and all of this. Mm -hmm. And... Then the plumber named Sam Burns, he arrives on the scene and he brings a lighted candle to check for uh, the gas leak. I mean... It must have been, he was crawling around, you know, in the dark area trying to find the leak. And he did. He found a small one and he was able to fix this and he goes on his way. Why did he bring a lighted candle? I, I guess it was <laughs> so new, like they didn't, they didn't quite get it yet. I, I don't know either, honey, but this is this is the story. So later, up in the upper floors of the drug company, they could smell this really strong gas odor again. Oh, boy. And so they call him back, saying there's still a problem. So he comes back again, lights his candle near these dark pipes to see what he was doing. And unfortunately, mm. at... About 2.45 p.m., he found a big leak. And you know what happened next? The explosion ripped through the building. Yikes. So in total, the explosion and the fire took the lives of 11 Natchez citizens. And to this day, the lot remains empty. Wow. The explosion put the drug company out of business, but the owner of the Natchez Drug Company was so devastated that he purchased a lot in the cemetery to bury his employees. Oh, that was sweet. Mm -hmm. And he purchased this beautiful angel sculpture monument to place at their gravesite. And his youngest employee was just 12 years old. Mm. I think all of the five that are buried there are young women. Oh, wow. This monument is now referred to as the Turning Angel because okay. people have felt like before that as you approach her that she turns toward you. And it's probably, I think, more of an optical illusion, of course, mm -hmm. I think. And they say it's because at night when cars drive by on Cemetery Road, that as the headlights shine on it, she appears to turn her head as the car passes by. 
Oh now we tried to replicate this while we were there mm -hmm. and maybe it wasn't dark enough or we didn't get it exactly right but we couldn't really make it turn or we anything. couldn't see anything she is very very famous and they think of her as like their guardian angel keeping watch over them and over their mm -hmm. cemetery i read a book named the turning angel that was totally not about just her but yeah. you know she's the natchez kind of like their little mascot oh okay and so they dearly love her during you know when everything was on quarantine and lockdown and all the crazy some vandals actually went out and broke the wings what off of her and did a bunch of damage to this beautiful sculpture and Natchez, as a city, they, you know, everybody like got together and donated money and she has been restored again oh, that's good. and they put her back together. But yeah, that was really devastating because they love their angel. People are idiots. I just have to say People that. People If you much idiots. are going and destroying things in cemeteries, we don't want you here. Just putting that out there. <laughs> exactly. I don't think we, <laughs> we have don't any want of you those listening to us. I don't think so either. <laughs> we don't but want you here. <laughs> just so you know, if you've ever done that, you can leave. So our last story is one of the sweetest things you will have ever heard. Ever. <laughs> ever. As we walk over to this plot, you'll see a memorial stone in the shape of a cross. And nearby sits a metal bench. And notice underneath the bench is a metal box. It is L.H. Lawrence's toolbox. The tombstone is for L.H. Lawrence's wife, Frances Fitzalan Riley Lawrence. And on the cross piece of the cross, it says, my wife, our mother. L.H.'s name is really Louis Hartman Lawrence, but he seemed to go by L.H., and he and Francis had two daughters, Marie and Isabel. Francis passed away in 1937 at the age of about 58. And each day after that, when he finished work, Mr. Lawrence would come to Natchez Cemetery to her grave. Sometimes he was carrying his toolbox, but he often left it overnight at the grave. He would stand on the road just outside the plot and say a prayer. Then he would step into the plot, open his toolbox, and carefully trim the grass and clean the tombstone while talking to his beloved wife. I know, it's so sweet. It's so tender and sad. And he just like hand clipped the grass. Yeah, he would go every tools. day. Oh my gosh. Make her grave all beautiful, so sweep the dirt off, oh. clip the little three pieces of grass and put his tools back in his little box. Oh. Many times he would be found in the early morning hours by the grounds crew just sleeping there on the ground beside his wife's grave. He spent so much time here that they placed a bench beside her grave so that he could visit her in comfort. Aww. They're like, <laughs> this guy needs help. They're like, somebody just give him a Somebody give him a bench. bench. It might not be a guy. comfortable bench, but he needs a place to sit. After his death in 1960 at the age of 84, that was a long time without a sweetheart. He died at 84 and she died at 58. Oh, that's sad. You know, even with... I didn't check the age difference if there was one or anything, but like there was a long time yeah. that he went to visit his sweetheart. He was placed beside her in the ground and his epitaph was inscribed on the other side of the cross. It says his name and underneath it it says, The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. His toolbox was encased in plastic and placed under the bench where he often left it. It is a remembrance of the devoted and loving husband that he had been long after death do us part. Aww. Isn't that the sweetest story? <laughs> so sweet. I was like, oh my gosh, how tender. And it is tender. I just love that he would stay there so long that he'd just fall asleep. <laughs> I just spent the night in the he cemetery. Just spent the night with his wifey in the cemetery. That's really sad, but it's so cute. He didn't he didn't have steps that were dug down next to her grave <laughs> no, so they no. could look in her coffin. This one is better. The other one is a little bit on the creepy side. This one is on the cute side where he just wanted to be with his wife. See, that's what the mom could have done. Exactly. But instead she's like, nah, I she need to be right next to... She took it to a whole new level. She took it too far. That, yeah, I'm just like, that's just a little... It's too much. It's overboard. Yeah. But then again, grief and loss and trauma yeah it does a lot you know it does makes you do weird things you wouldn't even think of you know not totally rational yeah because they're they're not there anymore but it's the closest thing that they have to you know being able to go and be with their person yes right there so anyway i just thought oh that's a good place to end because he was just so sweet and devoted to his wife. Yeah, he was. Well, what have you thought of the Natchez City Cemetery? It's cool. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. got some interesting stories in it. It's so huge. It is so beautiful. And there's just, there's so many more stories. So this was kind of a mini tour, mm -hmm. like a little one hour tour. And um, we'll come back again another time and about some of the other interesting graves because there are many many more stories to be told definitely thanks for coming with us today on our little cemetery tour of natchez city cemetery again 200 years of history here just in this city cemetery overlooking from the beautiful bluffs over the mississippi river if you want to see these pictures, go check out our blog, Stones, Bones, and Shadows podcast.com. This was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok, where you can interact with us. As always, we love to hear from our listeners.